Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Dean Erickson, um, which is on his books. Uh, some of you may know him as Nicholas Eric, who uh, is an urban fantasy author and also writes a, a newsletter for uh, about marketing for, for books and how to get your, your stuff out there. Um, as an author, he has written the Ruby Callaway Trilogy, the Half Demon Rogue Trilogy, the Eden Hunter Trilogy, and his latest series, the Test Sky series, which book two came out, um, which is entitled Smoke Show, just a few days ago. Um, Nick, Nicholas, I appreciate you coming with, uh, on this podcast with me. Go ahead and introduce yourself and, and a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me, Carson, and thank you for that introduction. And yeah, I'm an urban fantasy author. I've also written quite a few science fiction novels as well under the pen name Nicholas Eric. And under that name, I also talk about marketing advice for authors and how to get your books more visible and how to reach readers since that's always a question on authors' minds. How do I get this thing that I've written? in front of people who will enjoy it. So I write a somewhat weekly newsletter there and also have written a couple books on marketing and productivity for authors. So that's a, a constantly changing subject. How do you stay current with that? That's a good question, right? That, that, I mean, that's a million dollar uh, question, right? Tricky. <laughs> it's tricky to keep things updated and try to keep at the forefront of that. I work with a few authors running their ads on various ad platforms, and that helps you stay current and also keeping up with various groups and things like that and popping in to see what is going on and making sure that you're up to date. But it's definitely a constant struggle for authors trying to stay current and make sure that they're reaching readers in new ways and on platforms where readers are finding out about books. So is your newsletter geared towards more independent authors or can any author uh, benefit from it? I'd say that probably any author could benefit from it, but it's definitely geared more toward independent authors who have control over all the aspects of publishing where they're formatting the books, they're commissioning the covers, they're writing the book description, and the more control over the elements that you have there, the more that my advice and what I talk about is probably going to be relevant. Certainly aspects are going to be relevant to traditionally published authors about building a fan base, building up your email list, which is probably the best way to reach readers and make sure you have a direct communication conduit to your readership. But some of the things are only going to be relevant to independent authors just because you have a lot more control over the various aspects of the publishing process when you go indie. Mm -hmm. No, I think that does draw a lot of people um, that control um, to become an independent author. <clears throat> so that's a beneficial thing to to know that you're putting out to to know how to to market your cover you know because because you're in charge of everything and you have to find the cover artist you have to find 
the editor. You have to find out what um, is the best way to to make a you know um, a, a finished product so that people want to read it. You know, they they the old adage of um, you know don't judge a book by a cover is wrong. People definitely do. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a double-edged sword in that you have all this control, but at least in the beginning, you don't know exactly what to do with that control. So you can get a cover that doesn't signal the correct genre. You can write a description for the book that's either boring or doesn't really bring in the right readers, meaning readers who are going to be interested in that particular genre. You can pitch your book in such a way that it actually is going to appeal to readers who maybe they aren't fans of that particular subgenre, which you don't want as the author, they don't want as the reader. So it's tricky navigating all of that in the beginning. And hopefully with the stuff that I put out, people can learn from my mistakes of which there have been many over the past nine years. So Now you've written both urban fantasy and science fiction. Um, how do you come up with the ideas? Like, what influences your ideas? Pretty much stuff that I read could be a fiction book or it could be a nonfiction book. I read a lot of nonfiction. Could be something that you find on a social media site or news. You know, a variety of things can just pop up and give inspiration to what becomes the idea behind a certain book. So just kind of keeping my eyes peeled across various sources and writing things down in an ideas file, which is just pretty much named, I think, fiction ideas or story ideas. And over time, you accumulate all these types of different book openings or things that could turn into a story or a novel. And you go through it occasionally and you say, okay, that was probably not a great idea. We can get rid of that. But sometimes things pop out months afterward and you're like, okay, this could actually be a good starting point for a novel or an entirely new series. So my approach is kind of to just write things down. And then sometimes I throw them out the next day, you wake up and you know, you wrote something down before you went to sleep and you thought it was a great idea. And actually it wasn't some things make it into the file. And then some things eventually become books or character ideas or subplots or wherever they end up kind of slotting into the overall catalog. But that's basically the approach. And I try to let that simmer a little bit, not so much because that's a conscious decision, but just because you might be writing one series and have an idea for something completely different. And you don't want to necessarily just drop a book in the middle of writing it and then hop onto something that is of interest at that point, you know, and what that allows you to do is get an idea for what's actually going to have legs because you can visit something in two months that sounded like a great idea. And then mm -hmm. you actually look at it and now it didn't have the right elements to actually be turned into a book or series. So, when you go back and look through your ideas, like, what do you look for? What do you ha like? How do you sift through the the good and the bad ideas? Yeah, you, I think part of it's just experience, and part of it's thinking: Does this actually have enough room to grow into a series 
or a book. Sometimes you start writing something and you get to chapter two or three or five and you're kind of struggling and you're already winded. It's like running a mile or running five miles and you start out really strong and then a quarter of the way through you're like, what am I doing here? So that's that's kind of the gauge. And I think as you just write more books, you get a better idea of what ideas can sustain a series. And in particular, urban fantasy tends to be a series driven genre. Mm -hmm. So you need something that can have enough fuel and enough ideas to potentially sustain something that's going to be three or five or 10, 15 books. Some of the series end up being quite lengthy. Yeah. As you're looking into, you know, your marketing um, newsletter and doing research, what would you recommend somebody that's that's new right now? Like, would you recommend, okay, like start out with a trilogy or a quintology or, you know, even further more books? I would say just get the first book done. That's the main thing. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can start thinking, is this a trilogy? Is this a five book series? Is this a 10 book series? Sometimes people, when they first start writing, they're like, I'm going to make this a 10 book series or 15 book series, which is great to have that level of ambition. But also if it's your first book, you don't quite know how to plant the seeds at the beginning to actually be able to sustain that length of series. And you might also not want to stick with those characters for that long. Maybe it actually ends up being the case that you feel that this is better suited as a trilogy or a five book series or something like that. And I would kind of get that first book done and then see where you're at. As you get more experience, then you can kind of plot things out a little bit and plant some ideas in the earlier books that can help you sustain things as long as you need to. But a lot of times as an independent author, you're making decisions based on not just the writing and craft side, but the commercial side, because you have to be able to sell enough books to continue writing them. So certain series don't sell as well. So you kind of build in cutoff points or ways that you can wrap up the series without Mm -hmm. it being unsatisfying for readers, but also without potentially writing 10 books in a series that's not selling super well. Right. So when you sit down to, to write, what are your particular goals for the day? Usually getting started writing (laughs) is the main one, right? Uh, Once I get started with that, a lot of times things go more smoothly and it really depends on if it's a crunch period or if it's a period of time where I can kind of relax a little bit and write a certain number of words in a day and I don't have to like finish the book in a couple weeks, which is usually the situation I'm in when I'm writing. I tend to put things off a little bit and then have a mad dash to the finish, but it's mostly going to be dictated, I'd say, by the deadline and where I'm at with that. So let's just say ideally, like what Mm -hmm. would a word count be or do you sit down and just okay i'm gonna block out this amount of time yeah i found the more that i write the better that i write 
with deadlines and the closer that is to the deadline. So it's really about trying to gauge where I am and how much time I have left. So I don't want to leave it right until the last minute because that doesn't work super well, but just having that sense of urgency mm -hmm. tends to focus my writing and also forces me to eliminate plot points and things that kind of, sometimes you're going off in directions where, you know, you're rambling or the narrative meanders a little bit and it tends to be a much tighter experience for me and the writing process when I have that urgency. So I'd say, you know, getting started three weeks or so before the deadline, three and a half weeks before the deadline where the book needs to be done, like that seems to be somewhat optimal at this point. And that's just from starting way too close to the deadline, you know, you're like, okay, I can finish this book in a couple of weeks like that. That's sometimes a little bit stressful and doesn't end up actually happening just because that's too short a time. And then also starting just too far ahead where it's eight weeks or 12 weeks. What I found is that sometimes I lose the thread of the narrative because as the author, you're responsible for continuity and that is a little bit tricky to keep in line as you have more books in the series. And also just within the book itself, if you are writing it over a longer period of time, it can be just difficult to remember what happened in earlier chapters as you're at chapter 25 or 30 and have written this book over two months. It's not a given that you're going to remember what happens at the beginning. So I've found that by condensing the writing process a bit, like I really can keep all that straight and just continually build on what I've written in previous days, rather than having to spend a lot of time revising and editing and being like, oh, okay, actually this event, I completely forgot about. And now it renders the last 5,000 or 10,000 words that I've written kind of uh, moot or useless. When you're three weeks out or four weeks out, do you start with the first draft then and then just do all the revising and editing and stuff as you go along? Yeah, usually I have that something started by that point, but you know, I just try to write that and get started. And what I've tried to do is sit down for the day, get the words done. Um, but before that, review what I wrote the day before. So sometimes that doesn't work. I'm trying to get better with that, but I've found that that really kind of grounds me in that scene and also allows me to revise in the moment and refine that and make sure that I don't forget some sort of key plot point. You know, you introduced this object or this revelation in the past scene, and then you write the chapter for that day and you completely forget about that. And then, you know, you, you, start going down a different path it really helps like rereading that the day before and just make sure that you're building on what you actually wrote so that's what i'm trying to do more of sometimes it's easy to get impatient where you're like i got to get these words done you know the the, revi the the revision and the refinement that doesn't matter um it's you know a waste of time or whatever you know just get the words done sometimes there's 
a lot of focus on that, certainly for me and certainly within the author community, there's more focus, I'd say, on word count than like making sure everything lines up in the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to do that at some point. It's just there can be too much focus on the word count and not enough on actually making sure that those words are building toward the, the final product. So it feels inefficient to go back is what I'm trying to say. Uh -huh. um, and it feels like you're going backwards and that you're going slower. But actually what I've found is that that's a much quicker way to do it where you're reading what you wrote that day, or maybe every couple of days you go back and read and then make sure everything lines up and then build from there. I found that that's really helpful for me and also just keeping a word document of, Hey, this is what happens in chapter one. Here's what happens in chapter two three, et cetera. Uh, that's another thing that's really easy to fall behind on. And then you're 12 chapters ahead and everyone isn't acknowledging stuff that happened in chapter three or four. So those are two things that I'm trying to do more of, and it's easy to avoid them, especially when you have that deadline, right? Because you have a little bit of stress there and you, you're really trying to get the words down and get that done quickly. Um, and it's easy to convince yourself that, Hey, like the best way forward is just to keep adding more and more and more words on it, but it can become a little bit like a Jenga tower where you're just stacking that up a little bit too high and the base is a little bit unsteady. So I've been trying to go back and revise a little bit more in the moment and make sure that I have that chapter list of key events. And this character said this type of stuff. Um, to help help with continuity and, and getting you. Yeah. Um, so before you go in, do you have like an outline of your series or do you just have like a few plot points? You're like, this is kind of what I want to move towards and then just go for it. It really varies. And anytime I have any sort of outline, it pretty much immediately gets thrown out. <laughs> so really what I do at this point is I just hit the ground running and I might have a couple things, like a couple ideas from my idea file that I'm like, all right, this would be a good fit for this book. And then just boom, start writing and see what happens. So I think it's especially important what I just talked about with the revising in the moment and keeping that list of what's going on in the book when you're uh, it's usually referred to as pantsing mm -hmm. or some people refer to it as discovery writing when you're just going straight ahead and you don't know what's happening and you're really charging ahead into the dark, having that to make sure that everything lines up is pretty key. But at this point, I kind of just sit down and start running and see what happens. And sometimes you get into corners that you can't quite write your way out of. Uh, but I think also when you do that, you get the skill and develop the skill of being able to come up with really interesting solutions to problems that you really wouldn't have thought of when you sat down to outline. And for me, it also reduces the stress of having to sit down and figure out the entire book at the start mm -hmm. and think of these really clever plot twists or this character has to have this big revelation or this certain character growth or whatever you're trying to incorporate into it. It kind of just lets me figure that out as I go along. And once I start writing, the ideas that I tend to come up with 
are almost always a lot better than what I might have started with or what might be in my idea process um, in my idea file. Mm -hmm. So it tends to be a very generative process where the idea machine just starts running at a much higher level once I actually start writing. No, that's amazing. And that would be a good, uh, I guess, practice for somebody who wants to become an author that hasn't um, published yet is to, all right, I mean, they have, have you heard of NaNoWriMo? Yep. Yeah, like the 50,000 word in a month challenge, like do something like that so you can know what you're better at, whether you're better at something like what you do where, you know, you have three weeks, get the uh, the words on the page, get editing, or something that, you know, like other authors will have everything planned out and, you know, and then the writing just kind of follows the, the, the plot that they have developed, so... Or just sit down and have no plots and just be a pantser or a discovery writer. Like, practice and see what kind of writer you are and what you're best at. Yeah, that's absolutely so key, and that's a great point. You, you want to try different approaches and just see what kind of works for you. And then over time, you usually it's not even the case that you become a pure outliner or a pure pantser or discovery writer. You just incorporate various techniques and things into your writing process. So it's just really useful to read different books about different approaches and then also test them out and see what happens because your own process, even if you have this really super long outline, or if you're on the complete end, other end of the spectrum and you just start with nothing, it's going to have little things about it that are unique that you can pull from various other authors and writing craft books and stuff like that. So just experiment and see what happens. I, I think what you said is key. Um, I think the most important thing is putting words on page though, cause you can't fix or correct things that aren't there. Yeah, absolutely. That is the key. So out of all the genres you could have written in, um, why did you choose the fantasy and science fiction um, genres? I started with the science fiction just because I assumed incorrectly that that was a genre where people, if you're a fan of sci-fi, then you're a fan of all sci-fi, which definitely isn't the case. I didn't really have a, a good idea of what a subgenre was, you know, what subgenres existed. So I kind of wanted to write something with science fiction elements in it. And I was like, okay, this will just you know, I'll call this sci-fi, which it was sci-fi, but it didn't really fall into a clearly delineated subgenre. So that's kind of how that came about. And then I was struggling a bit with the science fiction and getting the genre exactly right and getting the books to sell. And I decided to just try out the urban fantasy. And that seems to be a better fit for my author voice and the tone of the books, the author voice and the voice of the characters within urban fantasy is snarky or sarcastic and that's a good fit for my writing style tends to be fairly action oriented and also has a bunch of expletives a lot of the time so that's something that i encounter some problems with in the science fiction not to say that there aren't science fiction books with a fair number of expletives in them, but it's just something that isn't as common in a lot of the subgenres there. And in the urban fantasy stuff, that's pretty much 
um, part of the subgenre. It's a it's a more it's a newer subgenre, I'd say, that's really grown over the past thirty years or so. So it just mm-hmm. hits a different readership, and that tends to be a better fit for my approach to writing and what I write about. And that's that's another part of the experimentation process, right? You figure out what's a good fit for your author voice, for what you want to write, for the type of books you want to write, if you want to write in a series or if you don't. Urban fantasy would be a very bad fit for someone who doesn't write series books because I don't actually know of any urban fantasy books that are standalone novels. I'm sure there are a few, but really it tends to be series characters that are some someone that the reader gets to know very well over five, 10, 15, 20 books. So if you don't want to write quite a few books there in a series, then it's not going to be a good fit. But yeah, that's basically the the process that I went through. I didn't really have a good idea of what the science fiction was at the beginning. And then as I got a better idea of it and wasn't seeing the success that I wanted to with the readership and the, the, the book sales, I just decided to experiment with the urban fantasy and that seemed to be a better fit. And I might go back to the science fiction at some point. Uh, I certainly have a better grasp of what readers are looking for from writing the urban fantasy and also just studying books. So it's some, it's a skill that you develop over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now I'm just focused on the urban fantasy. Now, what you said, um, you didn't have an understanding of science fiction. You just thought that you could just do a science fiction and it would sell. As you're doing your, your marketing research for your newsletter and stuff, how important is it to you know, whittle down your subgenre so you know exactly the audience you're looking for? It's absolutely key. So that's the basis and the foundation of all the marketing that you're going to do. And if you really miss the mark on the subgenre, then it's difficult to recover. So you need to have an understanding of just what readers are looking for. And it's not to say that you can't write something outside of the subgenres lines or write your own unique take on that, but you really want to understand how that breaks down and what makes an urban fantasy book say different than an epic fantasy book. Mm -hmm. In an epic fantasy book, a lot of times you don't have that say that I mentioned the expletives and the cursing, a lot of times you don't have those in the epic fantasy books. Certainly there are some, but it's not as prevalent. So if you walk in with the same writing style where it's really sarcastic and really expletive heavy sometimes and things like that, then it's not going to connect in the same way. And as uh, an author just starting out, you may have the idea that I had coming in where it's like, oh, fantasy, is fantasy, right? Um, the other thing with the epic fantasy is it tends to be set in some sort of medieval type of worlds with kings and kingdoms and all those sorts of things. Not necessarily, but the urban fantasy is contemporary mm-hmm. and set in generally the modern world and in some sort of city that people are familiar with, New York, Chicago, that sort of metro- metropolitan area right? Um, or some sort of town. So just knowing those differences is so key. And then if you understand those tropes and expectations, then you can subvert them and 
acknowledge them in a way that readers recognize that you have a good grasp of the subgenre, but then surprise them in unique and novel ways, which can go a long way toward building a fan base and standing out in that subgenre. But certainly knowing what the reader's expectations are is so key. And being a reader of the subgenre really helps, even if you're not an author yet. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've just read deeply in the subgenre, then that can really help when you're sitting down to write. But if you're writing in a subgenre that you're not familiar with, then certainly researching that a bit by reading some of the popular books is a great way to get started and get a feel for what readers are looking for. Another practice exercise that I think somebody could do is look at the subgenres and pick a few that you want to try and see how it is. Like you could do epic or, or urban fantasy because you might love like science fiction like you tried out, but then find a voice in urban fantasy, which you never would have thought if you hadn't tried it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to experiment. That's one of the main things. And I think where people come in when they're just starting out is they have an idea for one book that they want to write and they write that book and then they say, okay, what's next? If you want to be a full-time author, then you're going to be writing quite a few books. So that first book, a lot of times it's not going to sell. You didn't quite nail the subgenre right, or maybe the book itself isn't that great just because it takes a lot of time and practice to hone the skills that are involved with writing. Mm -hmm. But once you get that first book out, then you can start thinking a lot more about what's going on with the subgenre and these type of things that we've been talking about. No. And, and for those of you who don't know, um, if you go to Amazon, you can go scroll down and see subgenres that uh, a book is classified in. And your first book in the test guy series is, is currently on the bestseller list in a couple of the, the subgenres. Yeah. Yeah. It's been doing well. So and that's just a product of a lot of missteps along the way, you know, like getting the wrong type of cover for the book or writing the wrong description or just not even with the book itself, not understanding where that slotted into the subgenre. So it's just been a very iterative process over the years. And uh, luckily this book is doing well right now. So that's obviously good to see and satisfying as an author, but it, it's a very volatile business and that some <laughs> books sell well and some others, even if you have the marketing best practices in place and you've really tried to do your research and understand the subgenre, some books just don't connect. So we'll see how this series does from here. Uh, it's still early, but I've been happy with how it's been received thus far. So hopefully it keeps doing well. Yeah. The first book came out in January. Is that correct? It actually came out in June. June. What happened was I pressed publish on it in January oh. and then it was unpublished until June when it was actually finished and ready to go like the final draft. So that's not a recommended approach. There's no marketing <laughs> secret there. It's just something that happened with that particular book. And I think I finished it and got it up and it's published on June 25th or 26th. So it's been out for a couple months at this point about. Okay. 
So yeah, it, it looks like it's doing fantastic on the the Amazon sales and rankings and bestseller list. So so fantastic job. So you talked about uh, covers. How did you go about finding artists to do the, your covers? Your covers look fantastic, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I can't take any credit for that. Like that's all the artists. At this point, nine years or so in, you have basically a list of freelancers or designers that you've worked with in the past or you see in the front of other authors books, Hey, this is who did my cover and you bookmark that or make a note of that. So that's how you tend to find those people. Another way is just through author groups and recommendations that way. So the designer who did the cover for this book is someone who I've worked with in the past. And what I actually did here was I commissioned three cover designs and uh, they were from two different artists and I did a variety of styles there that were pretty different from one another. Uh-huh. And then I tested them beforehand to see which one actually did the best performance wise. And then I ended up using that one. And also I was considering what is the best fit for my brand because with urban fantasy, there's a lot of the books tend to have paranormal romance elements, either kind of being on the line between urban fantasy and paranormal romance, or at least having some sort of romance subplot. My books don't have any of that. So one of the options that I tested was more geared toward a paranormal romance market because I was considering maybe adding a subplot like that. Ultimately, I just ended up doing the more action-packed thriller type of approach to urban fantasy. So that's why the cover reflects that. Mm -hmm. And that ended up doing well. So if you're an author, then one of the best ways to improve the overall performance of the book and also the book description, that's another thing that I tested beforehand, which is... uh, referred to as the blurb. Mm-hmm. I tested multiple options with that. And it seems like it's an expense, meaning that you're not going to really see much from that in terms of payoff. But I treat that as an investment because the first book is so key to the overall series success and getting those elements really helps it sell better and get more for your marketing dollars. If the cover and the description are more appealing, then you're going to be able to sell more copies of that first book and pull more people into the series. And then hopefully the book from there delivers and they continue through that. But I did a lot of testing beforehand to make sure that those were hopefully resonating as well as possible with the target audience. And it seems to have paid off because the book is doing fairly well at this point. Somebody that's looking in, they have a book um, finished and they're looking to find a cover artist. Is there, what, what, is there some groups that you would recommend that they get on with through social media or is there a website that you can go to or what would be the best way? Yeah. The first thing that I would do is look at books in your subgenre that you like the covers for and then look in the front matter and see if the cover artist is credited. So in my books, the cover artist is credited. Not all authors mention that, but that's one way to do it. Also, if you look at the paperback version on Amazon, if you flip over to that, sometimes they're 
credited on the back cover. So you can look at the back cover and say, oh, this is the author or this is the artist who did this particular cover. So those are the ways that I generally do it. And then there are author groups. I don't know of any specifically for cover design, meaning that I'm not a member of them. I know that those exist. So what I would do is look in cover design, like just look, search that on Facebook and see what kind of pops up. And you might get some stuff that's for cover designers, but you might also get some things that are related to more of the readership end rather than the uh, service provider. And, and in terms of Facebook groups, the main ones in the indie community in the past, it tended to be K-boards. So that's just a forum mm -hmm. that has declined in popularity a bit, but it still has a list of service providers that you can go check out and contact. So that's a good resource for designers or other service providers that you're looking for, like proofreaders or editors. And then on Facebook, the probably the most popular one in the indie community is called 20 books to 50 K. So you can go in and search there and see what service providers pop up. I think they have some threads of service providers where people can post their various cover designs, proofreading, stuff like that. So you can follow the links there and check out people's portfolio. And what I would recommend with the cover is get someone who has done covers in your genre. So with the urban fantasy stuff, a lot of it tends to be heavily photo manipulated and also often involves some tablet drawing or shading, something like that. And that can be a little bit of a different skill set than someone who creates really great thriller covers. So mm -hmm. if you look at the cover for Drop Dead, which is the title of the book I just released, it has a thriller type of vibe, but there are some touches that make it urban fantasy. And you wanna make sure that your cover designer understands those nuances and can also execute the art side. So just getting someone who has some examples in their portfolio of what you're looking for is a really good way to ensure that you end up getting the cover that you want. Same with um, finding an editor. Like, cause you are in, in complete control and an editor is a, a key part um, not, not just finding, see, there's people get, uh, I think confused on what an editor is. There's those editors that, yeah, you're going to find the, the grammatical errors and stuff like that, but there's another editor that will look for continuity and, and make sure the book is correct and not format, but like as they're reading it, you're like, no, this is, doesn't fit this. You need to change this and stuff like that. Um, how do you go about finding the, the right editor? Cause those usually aren't going to be listed in the books. Yeah, sometimes they are. Um, a lot of times, another way you can actually find cover designers or editors or things like that is contact the author. If you really like the book that you just read and they're an indie author, contact them. And, you know, they're, they're real people. And a lot of them are willing to help you out and say, hey, here's who did my cover or did my editing. So that's another good way to do it. So yeah, with the continuity stuff and making sure the character arcs are satisfying, that sort of thing, making sure that the plot is tight and the structure is well-paced 
that's what's referred to as a developmental editor. And then you have people who are looking at the sentence structure and stuff like that. And the, sometimes the style of the book that's going to be copy editing or line editing. So a lot of times those are used synonymously. Sometimes people define them as different things. I tend to think of those as basically the same thing. And then you have your proofreader who is just looking for typos and misplaced words and things like that. So with the developmental editing, that's probably something that's going to be more beneficial and more of need when you're starting out because you're not sure about things like the structure. You know, you may not even really be familiar with something like the hero's journey or the three act structure or things like that. So that can really help there and really accelerate your progress. If you're working with someone who knows what they're doing, which is a big if and a big caveat there, because there's no rules on who can say they're an editor or not. So you can just get someone who has an English degree and has read a few books and decides to hang out their shingle as a developmental editor. Right. So that's a situation where certainly reading books that you enjoy and then contacting that author, that can be a really good way of doing that because you already know that the book is solid and you know that if they had a dev, dev editor, then it actually, the, like the book, the final product actually delivers and the editor knew what they were doing. So um, that can definitely be useful. That tends to be fairly expensive. It can be a couple thousand bucks, 3000 $4,000. So it can be an expense that at the beginning when you're not making much money with your writing isn't tenable in the context of your business, but that, that can definitely be worthwhile. And I'll say here that I've never worked with a dev editor before. So it's not something that I have a ton of experience with. I'm not saying that it wouldn't have been useful at some point. I kind of fought through all those mistakes and pacing issues and character arc issues and structural issues just through publishing the books and reading the reviews on Amazon and kind of seeing where people had problems and trying to go from there. An alternative to getting a, an editor is using beta readers. So if you're on a budget or you just don't want to go down that route, then getting beta readers and sending the book to five, 10, 15 different people and seeing what commonalities they have in terms of what didn't work with the book, that can be really useful for identifying continuity problems or just, hey, this character did something here that was super unlikable and like five people say that, then you might have a problem because it's okay if your main character does some morally questionable things or does some things that readers don't agree with, but you definitely need them in genre fiction to be likable. If they're not, then you have a huge problem, especially if it's first person, because if you're in the first person perspective, then the reader is generally putting themselves in that character's shoes and no one wants to really inhabit someone's shoes that they don't like and is doing things that are super objectionable. objectionable. Mm -hmm. So that's something to 
potentially incorporate it into your editing process with the beta readers and you can use editors plus a team of beta readers or you could use the beta readers by themselves but there are multiple approaches to achieving the same end goal which is creating a book that readers enjoy and hopefully enjoy enough to buy the next book in the series or the other books in your catalog right now like what challenges that have come ac- have you come across that you didn't expect in this journey of yours yeah there have been so many of them i'd say that the main one at the beginning was just figuring out the genre stuff that took me a few books to really figure out okay there are different subgenres. obviously i knew that subgenres existed i just didn't realize that readers may really only read in a couple subgenres where they really like space opera or something like that but don't really read post-apocalyptic both of which are science fiction so that took a while and then just the main thing is that it takes time to build a creative career whether you're an author or someone like a cover artist or whatever you're doing creatively you have to build your fan base over time and there really aren't any shortcuts with the marketing and the craft side you can spend a lot of money marketing a book but if ultimately it's not satisfying to the readers and doesn't deliver what they're looking for then you can get that initial sale but it's not going to translate into people joining your email newsletter following you on social media buying the next books in the series which is really where your career actually ends up becoming a career you don't have a career based on just one book that sells well it's a catalog of books over 10 15 20 years yeah so i think that the biggest takeaway is just this is such a long game and you certainly want your books to sell regardless of whether it's your first book or i think that this book is the 24th or 25th one i've put out at this point you always want the most recent thing that you put out to sell but the game isn't won or lost just based on that one release it's such a long game and at the beginning i didn't really have a good notion of just how long that was i published my first book maybe when i was 23 or 24 and in writing you can keep publishing and keep getting better and keep building on what you've done for 40 50 60 years potentially if you start that early and there's so much value in looking at things with that long-term perspective because a you're not going to ride things too high or too low but b you can also spend the time with each release and with your marketing endeavors to build skills and solidify those rather than rushing Mm -hmm. everything and trying to get everything now you don't have as much control over the immediate short-term future as you might have liked certainly this book is doing well right now which is great sales wise but it could have been the case that i tested all this stuff and then released the book and it flopped that's certainly happened before where i invested a lot of time into the marketing and thought i had a good plan and then it didn't pan out but it's a long game and you have to just keep releasing so no hit series or hit book is really going to be the end of the story. Likewise, no flop is going to mark the end point unless you let it. But if you're looking 10 years, 20 years, 
what happens today is just a building block and a stepping stone on that journey. No, I think that's a, a golden nugget of wisdom that you shared. I think a lot of new authors have such an emotional, det- uh, an attachment to their, their new book that's going to be this wonderful thing that you, you kind of have to step back and detach yourself and look at it, like you said, as a, as a building block over a 10, 20, 30, 60 year career. Um, and if it flops, write another book, you know, continue on. Um, I, I interviewed another author and he said, look, the only, the only time you fail is when you stop. Like, I, I think there's enough people that love to read that you can find people that can enjoy your work. Yeah. And if you don't want to keep writing, then don't do it. That's yeah. the other thing, right? Like there's no rule that says you have to keep writing if you just hate it. But I think a lot of people do want to keep writing and they stop because this next book, or they have a couple books in a row that don't work. That shouldn't stop you from looking at the long term, where it's like, okay, 10 years from now, those two books, maybe they still don't sell well, but if I have another 10 books or 20 books or 50 books, however fast you write, and some of those are popular, maybe that actually will lift these two books that didn't do that well in the moment where they were released and actually turn them into something that maybe never becomes a huge hit, but can bring in some money and bring in some readers. So the the game is never won or lost in the immediate short term. And that's the easiest thing to focus on. You know, if someone goes and checks out this book, when this interview goes up, then they'll probably see Drop Dead doing fairly well. But maybe in a year, they look at it and they're like, was this book ever doing well? I mean, hopefully it's still doing well, but you don't know. There's a lot of stuff that can happen in between now and then. So I've seen a lot of people come and go in urban fantasy and just in the indie community in general, people who are doing well, who you're trying to reverse engineer what they're doing. And also people who weren't doing well, who ended up quitting because they didn't see the results that they wanted to on the timeline that they were projecting. And I think that that's unfortunate if they actually wanted to be writers. It's definitely not unfortunate if you start writing and you look at, you know, what your days are going to be like, where as a writer, you're, you're writing, which is great if you want to write. It's not so great if you look at it and you're like, actually, I don't really want to be making up stories and doing this. Then quitting is a great option because you should spend your time doing things that you want, but it's definitely unfortunate if that's really what you're about and what you like doing. And if you have stories that people like, if you get thrown off by a couple releases or even five or 10 releases that don't do what you want, like even those in the context of a longer career where you have two or three years where things aren't going your way, it's a relatively short period of time. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, who are some of the authors that influence you? In urban fantasy, you know, it's probably the typical ones where you have stuff like Jim Butcher and Laurel K. Hamilton and those type of authors. Those were really the authors that kicked off the genre. They weren't necessarily the first ones, but they're probably the first ones that were 
achieving a level of popularity where you're hitting the New York Times list and stuff like that and really bringing attention to the subgenre. Uh -huh. Then outside that, authors like Elmore Leonard and John D. McDonald, who have really distinct writing styles and voices and just that kind of lyrical nature to their prose. Mm -hmm. Do you have anybody that outside urban fantasy that you like? I read, I don't read as deeply in a certain subgenre as a lot of the readership in any subgenre does. When you're an author, I think a lot of times many authors read really broadly. So I don't necessarily have a favorite author or specific authors who I read a ton of their work. Like I just try to read things that I'm interested in that might be urban fantasy or it might be, you know, stuff like with Elmore Leonard and John D. McDonald are more crime authors. They're not fantasy authors, but I just try to pick up books that are, you know, I read the description. I'm like, Oh, that, that sounds interesting. And then see what that entails. Um, you know, like I, I really enjoyed the hunger games, which is completely different than any urban fantasy right. book for sure. Um, but like just trying to read what is resonating with readers as well, like picking up some of those bestsellers and getting a feel for what's popular, I think is important for the commercial aspect too, just seeing not only what readers like, but also how to write a book like that. Even if you choose to go in a different direction, it's good to be aware of how certain things are structured or certain character choices that the author makes if you want to make this your career, like it's always good to have an idea of what the commercial ramifications of certain craft choices right. are. And that helps there. I like that a lot. I was at a writing conference a few years ago and somebody um, broke down like the beats, like of, of the hunger games, like how Katniss fell and, and what happened in her life. And, and it was kind of interesting. And that's kind of how he, like you said, reverse engineered, like, what made this successful and of course he didn't copy you know okay like this person's going to feel sad and then happy and then, but like he's like you can learn from this emotional journey that katniss went through for the hunger games and it was really interesting um the his speech his his conference talk yeah the hunger games is a, is a great book and it's really well paced it's really the pace is so fast for a hundred thousand word book it feels like it's like 40, 50,000. Mm -hmm. And certainly the inverse can be true where you're reading something that's 40, 50,000 words, which is about the length of my most recent book. And it feels like it's twice as long or three times as long. Right. So you definitely want to be on that end of the spectrum where it's a page turner and feels much shorter. But uh, that was a great book. And that's something that I broke down as well. Like just writing out what happens in the chapters and kind of drilling down. So that's a good exercise where you can break down books in various ways. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for getting on with me today. Um, how can people find you? How can people reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And people can check out the novels, the urban fantasy stuff at dnerickson.com. So that's Erickson with a K and S O N. And then if you want to check out the marketing stuff, if you're an author and 
want to find out how to market your books better and learn some ways to do that, then check out nicholaseric.com. And that's Eric again with a K. And I have a somewhat weekly author newsletter. Sometimes it goes out weekly. Sometimes it's more infrequent than that, but that's free and you can check out that. And I've written a couple books on productivity and marketing as well. Perfect. And then, um, you know, with COVID things are tough, but do you have any plans of going to any conventions or anything like that in the next year and a half or so, 2020, end of 2021 and 2022? Nothing planned yet. We'll see. Right now it's just trying to focus on getting the the books done and out. And that's been a little bit of an interesting balancing act with the other stuff I do with the marketing for other authors and trying to write that marketing newsletter and the things that I do on that end. So I'm still trying to adjust to that and incorporate the fiction writing back into my schedule. So we'll see in the future, but nothing planned currently. Okay. Well, perfect. I appreciate you getting on with me today. Thank you. Yeah, very much. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking. Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.